Welcome to VB Engage episode 40. My name is Stuart Rogers and I'm with VentureBeat. And I am joined as ever by the author of Digital Sense, the marketing technology genius, in fact, number five in the world of marketing technology geniuses, and that's been measured analytically by Onalytica. It is Travis Wright. How are you doing? That was very nice of you, Mr. Stuart Rogers. I am doing excellent, and this is episode 40. So we're both drinking, uh, you know, a 40 of our favorite malt liquor right now. So yeah, is, it's, uh, we've yeah. managed to get to yet another round number. I like round numbers. Do you like round numbers? I'm fine with all numbers. I'm, I have no problems with any of them. <laughs> <laughs> you were an equal opportunities number user. Yeah. <laughs> numbers rule our lives at the moment, don't they? Those algorithms, they're going to get you. Would you like to sing your algorithm is going to get you a tune for the audience? No, I, I think our <laughs> listeners are not ready for that. We had an episode, a fantastic episode last week. We interviewed Howard Love. That was awesome. We have a great interview coming up later today with Itai Lahan. I think we've got Mitchell Reichert next week as well, which is going to be amazing. But I guess we have to get into the news first, Travis. And my oh my, there has been some news this week. Snaplytics. You heard of Snaplytics? I believe early on, one of the first few episodes that we had, we talked about Snaplytics. And there was a couple of weeks where we were all Snapchatty for, you know, for quite a bit. But yeah, Snaplytics, they uh, they released a new report on some of the engagement levels and some of the stuff that's going on with Snapchat pre-IPO. Pretty interesting information uh, that was being revealed in this report. You wrote a great article on this, right? Well, I wrote an article, Travis. Let's not go too far and say it was great. That's true. Um, but, I, should, uh, I should limit the, yeah. uh, the hype. Please don't overhype it. I, uh, <laughs> it was an okayish article. I literally put some words in an order, and hopefully some of them made sense. That's good. Snaplytics do some really interesting analysis. You know, everyone else is looking at Snapchat in terms of the 161 million daily users uh, that they had in, in quarter four of last year, and that was... That was Snapchat's own numbers from their um, from their S1 filing, right? Yep. 25 to 30 minutes of in-app usage per day, per user. Per day. Average. That's crazy. Yeah. And people open the app 18 times a day on average. You know, those are great numbers. That's the broad brush stroke, right? That's mm-hmm. everybody that uses Snapchat. What Snaplytics have done is they've looked at 500 brands. They took in data from 24,000 stories. Those 24,000 stories consist of over 271,000 snaps. And what they were measuring was, do they get opened? Do brands actually get their point across at all to their followers, right? And if they do get opened, do people watch to the end of the story? And this was mind-boggling for me. It turns out that... Close to 55% of a brand account's followers will open that brand's story. That's huge, right? Yeah, and not only that, but it turns out that 87.5% of those followers that open up the story, they watch it to the end of the last snap. So they are actively engaged. So it goes to show that if you have a Snapchat follower of your brand, then they actively actually like you and want to see the content you're creating. It's really, really awesome. It shows that. You know, in terms of engagement, Snapchat is considered at the moment the sort of queen and king of engagement. Um, it used to be Instagram, but Snapchat had taken over a little bit there. And brands are getting just basically, as I said in the article, they're getting a free ride. That's what it is. They're getting a free ride because they're not having to spend a seven-figure amount on being in the Discovery tab like MTV or the you know, e-channel or whatever. You know, they're spending a huge amount of money being in that uh, Discovery channel. 
They're not having to spend money on advertising. They're not having to spend money on mm-hmm. uh, geo filters. They're not having to spend money on a uh, augmented face filter. All they got to do is show up and tell an engaging and interesting story, and people will a open it and b watch it to the end. Yeah, and that's free of charge. Yeah. right? and the whole thing is free because what's happening is they said the report also showed that sixty four percent of those users are actually adding the brand by the Snapchat name. They're not using a snap code or any deep link. They like the brand enough to go search for it and actively follow them. Here's the counterpoint to that, and this is the problem with Snapchat, right? Snapchat's terrible for discovery, really awful for horrible. discovery. It's so bad for discovery that I ran a competition that actually just ended. I actually shipped out the prize this week. That big box of so stuff, huh? That big box of stuff. Um, if you've not been following me on Snapchat, I would love you to come and see what the heck I get up to when I'm not writing words. I've been running a competition for three weeks. I will write up the results of this. Um, You'll get to hear about it a little bit more later on. But because Snapchat is so terrible for discovery, I actually put a box of prizes together that was valued at over $450 with a view to getting people to do shout outs for me on their stories and send my snap code to their friends so that I could just gain more followers. And, you know, as they did that, they got entries in the competition and they could win this huge box of uh, amazing prizes. This... 64% 64% of new followers add a brand using a Snapchat name. Well, yeah, the reason is, is because Snapchat is terrible for discovery. So the only way, really, that most people find brands they care about is to type in the brand's name and hope that the brand has actually nailed their own name, right? Mm-hmm. If they if they haven't claimed their own name, who knows who you're following when you type in the, the, the name right. of the brand, yeah? They are getting better, right? Brands um, over, the, well, over the four quarters of 2016, you know, certainly quarter three, quarter four, there were more snap codes being used. There were more deep links being used, right? It is increasing. Brands are getting better at using snap codes and deep links. But the vast majority of people are still adding brands via name. And that speaks really to Snapchat's terrible discovery problem more than anything else. Right. Now, is, are these mostly B2C brands? A big chunk of them are, yeah, obviously. But I've seen a lot of B2B people actually getting a great deal of value out of Snapchat. And that's because... While it was originally targeted at teens and younger users, us old people like me, I mean, I'm 147 this year, Travis, and I'm using it. So us older people were getting into it. There's a lot of people I'm seeing using it for creating really cool daily stories about B2B worlds. You know, there's there's people who are giving away VC advice on there. There's uh, people who are on there talking about their products and services and you know, those products and services are targeted at, uh, at other businesses. They're doing really well because it all comes down to, are you creating an engaging story or not? Because if you're not, people will switch off, right? Absolutely. And as Brian Kramer said, it is human to human. So even if it is B2B, there's still humans behind that that are paying attention to the content that you're creating. So Sometimes there are humans behind it. But, Sometimes uh, there's not. Actually, not these days. Ah. Which is a nice segue to our second piece of news, which is a company called Likelihood. They launched their AI design platform. I was blown away by this, Travis. I was really honored to be able to get an early look at this before it launched. And I'm really blown away by it. So you know when you go to an e-commerce site? We are in this world right now. In fact, one of the founders of Likelihood calls it the Internet of Trays. You know, you go to an e-commerce site and there's maybe some curated content where they are pushing a particular product that they want to push. Mm -hmm. But then you get the recommended section which is trying to use machine learning and artificial intelligence to just basically create these trays that are full of recommended products and right 
you know, in different categories and hope that they get a win. Trays um, and praise, right? <laughs> yeah. And it, do you know what? It looks really clunky. There's no mm-hmm. nice design in there, right? It's actually quite a horrible experience when you go to a lot of e-commerce sites. What likelihood are doing is they're allowing you in a very design-centric way to create amazing content by feeding the system with really nice photography and uh, with, you know, copy and, you know, all of this good stuff. But then what the likelihood system is doing is using machine learning and artificial intelligence to create literally thousands or tens of thousands. Or in one example, I saw it create four million different combinations of creative ready to serve to different types of customer automatically and not just the different creative but creative that fits on every single different size of screen and changes the content based on the device so you might get something really cool that looks fantastic on your on your smartphone on your four inch screen but then as it scales up to like a pc not only will you get the content but you also get interactive rollover so you know i saw one example of uh, an interior decorating website where as you scale up to a PC or a Mac, you get these rollovers that show you like carpet samples and then you can hover over the different uh, flooring sample mm. and it will entirely change everything on the screen to match that flooring so that you can go, oh, I like that look and you can go and buy the sofa or buy the table or you know whatever is, is coming up on screen. So they're combining these images, these different sets of copy, different fonts, interactive elements, and then they're creating all these different combinations to use on your website. That's fascinating. So we've had this conversation here over the past few weeks where there's been, you know, we've discussed Amplarow and follow analytics and the the conversation has always been, ah, so we're going to be using AI to free marketers up so that we can be creative again. And here we are with this tool that's allowing us to be super creative and just input some of the things, but not actually have to execute on creating those thousands of images because that would be impossible. It's a really smart thing because we've been talking about this thread of AI taking away the high-waste menial tasks so that skilled people can focus on doing the skilled stuff instead of focusing on doing the menial things, right? right? This is the perfect example of that. This is the perfect example of letting marketers and designers and creative people do that, you know, creative stuff and not worry about how do you take all of this and create 2000 combinations and how do you how do you even deal with serving that to the website with this it's just hook it into the website in the usual way it takes a few minutes it you know links into your cms it links into your e-commerce platform to your tag management system you know it does all of that links all in uses all that data and it does that high waste menial work for you, uh, which means you can just like focus on being creative and then letting it do its job. It's it's absolutely perfect. I was really blown away by it. It's a really awesome example, probably the best example of letting marketers get back to being creative through the use of AI. Very nice. And that's likelihood.com. And they do have a, a free short term trial right now that's available through March 31st. So if you want to take a look at that. That's pretty interesting. So that just continues the trend. I believe last week we talked about rank science and how, you know, A-B testing and the optimization of websites are occurring on the fly. And so now we're talking about using AI to do creative. And then we've talked about it for analytics and 
and we've talked about it for other elements. It's just so amazing to see all these different uses of AI in marketing. And then just on a quick note, uh, there's a company, Influential.co, uh, that is uh, partnering up with Watson, and they're creating some AI influencer technology there to be able to, uh, It's the, I guess it's the only developer partner for influencer marketing on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. So using some of that augmented intelligence and uh, predictive insights with 10 plus different API partners. So we're seeing a really interesting trend right now of all of these uh, technologies sort of uh, tapping into machine learning and AI and giving us greater insights much faster and allowing us to create many iterations of things on the fly without actually having to manually do this. So, you know, marketing is changing now at a greater pace than we've seen before, Mr. Stuart Rogers. It certainly is. I want to cap off this with, you know, because I like to offer a little bit of balance Mr. Travis, as you know, mm-hmm. I noticed something from Forrester uh, in their research this week. They've been doing some research on AI in marketing. I can tell you that something like 40% of the marketers that they surveyed think they're using artificial intelligence in their marketing already, when in fact they aren't. So <laughs> there's an awful lot yet to do when it comes to educating marketers as to what AI is why it's important and uh, what it's going to do for marketers in the future because clearly there's a there's a big chunk of marketers out there who are a little bit you know underinformed when it comes to what AI is and whether they're actually using it or not they they believe they are you know 40% believe they are but they're not yet that's kind of worrying if people don't understand what artificial intelligence is what machine learning is and they're just sort of winging it as they go then uh, they're not artificially intelligent then We're going to have to continue the education, I think, and make sure that everybody completely understands what AI is going to do for marketing. So we'll do our bit, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll we'll not have such a big gap in people who think they're using AI. Maybe we need a definitive uh, report on AI for marketing. Well, that's an interesting concept. Uh, Definitive guide to definitive guides. Yeah, maybe we'll do that. We've actually got within uh, VentureBeat, we have a webinar coming up. We'll stick it in the show notes for you um, on what machine learning is and why you should care about it in marketing. So that's going to be evergreen content. You can watch it live. You can watch it on demand. So it doesn't matter if you're listening to this podcast and two years have passed, you'll still be able to go get that content. Uh, so we'll stick it in the show notes for you. That's great. And uh, you, can, you can go and school yourself on machine learning. Educate yourself. And also you were talking about your big prize that you gave away on Snapchat. We'll put in uh, maybe something in the, in the notes there uh, or whenever you write that up. But also we're going to be doing a, a contest here coming up here shortly as well. So want to plant that seed. We have some stuff that's uh, in the works. And then uh, we'll give you more information shortly. Yeah, because everybody loves a competition. Do you know what I love more than a competition? Interviews? I love a fantastic interview with ah, an incredible guest. Yes. yes. Should we get into that? Let's do it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have a great treat for us today, as always. It's always a treat when we get to interview these amazing, brilliant people. Uh, today we have Atai Lehan, and uh, he is the co-founder and CEO of Cloudinary, an image management and optimization platform. So welcome to the show, Atai. Thank you for coming to VB Engage. We appreciate it, good sir. Hi, Travis. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely awesome to, uh, to have you here. It's really interesting to me, this whole world of image and video optimization and 
you know, I guess the thing we want to do here is just kind of set the scene a little bit and explain to people why this stuff is important. I mean, in, in my mind, I've looked at your customer list. You have some pretty outstanding customers, some pretty, you know, huge global brands, you know, the likes of eBay, et cetera, Condé Nast and, you know, so on and so forth. And the, the thing that always strikes me is when I'm talking to uh, people that manage uh, mobile devices, uh, you know, whether they be smartphones or tablets, whether they manage, you know, marketing and, and, you know, web pages and apps and everything across all of those devices, across the, you know, the standard web, desktop web. It's funny, isn't it? We we used to call it the internet and the mobile internet. We now just call it the internet and the desktop internet because mobile's taken over. <laughs> but when we think about all of these things, one of the things that strikes me is, especially with the global brands, is that image management has become a huge deal because you want to have really high quality images. You want to have really engaging high quality video. But you also want to be able to access all markets in the world. And in places like India and uh, in other markets where they have bandwidth issues, the whole area of making sure you've still got a good quality visual perspective, but taking up as few bits as possible is incredibly important. You know, talk us through you know, what it is to, to make sure that we consider this when we're, we're thinking about these things from a marketing standpoint. And you know, why is image and video so important for, for marketers and for brands generally? I think you've nailed all the main points, right? So images are obviously central piece of your every website's uh, user experience, right? Picture is worth a thousand words, and it shows. The more modern websites out there today, the more focused they are uh, on images. Uh, on social websites, images has become the, 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 the main theme, right? Instagram is all about images, Snapchat, Facebook, uploading stuff to images over to Facebook is, is probably the number one engagement over that platform. Uh, when you go read your daily newspaper, you don't actually read the titles before you actually see all these amazing high-res photos. And based on that, you make your decision what to read, what to buy, and so forth. So obviously, a very important part of the web experience. And as you've said, in recent years, we see more and more of our uh, daily engagement moving over to mobile devices. And it required a very different set of uh, thinking concepts on how to adapt the web that we knew in desktop machines and how to get that over to mobile devices without harming the user experience or just improving that. And so far this year, we see mobile purchases, online purchases, just engagement on mobile devices surpassing what we have on desktop machines. Specifically for images, images, videos, media in general, it's a hard problem to solve. And talking from a developer perspective, there is maybe surprisingly, maybe not, but, but a lot of work done by developers to make sure that you're getting the best user experience on your website from a media perspective. And it starts from the managing the huge amount of content that are, are flowing into your website. If you look at uh, an average e-commerce website today, you can have hundreds of thousands of products, uh, dozens of images per product, and then adapting those images to each and every device and size we're talking about millions, hundreds of millions of photos that you need to manage on a single website. Getting these images, adapting them correctly on a user-by-user -user basis, on an image-by-image -image basis to get the best user experience, is a, it's, it's very hard. <laughs> it's a tremendous <laughs> challenge. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's getting worse, right? Because as consumers, we are never satisfied these days. We go to an, an e-commerce website and we expect there to be not just 10 photos of each product. 
we expect some of those photos to be 360 degree rotating versions of the product so that we can spin it around and see how it shines right and get a a really good sense of, of what it could look like in our in our hands, uh, assuming it goes in our hands. Not all products do. Travis would know more about the other types of products uh, that don't go into your hands. Isn't that right, Travis? We're not supposed to talk about that, though. Yeah, we don't need to see 360-degree spins <laughs> of those. Where do we see that this is going? Because here we are, we're in this world where there are so many devices, right? The desktop world, we got the, the mobile device and some de- mobile devices are more intelligent than others. And we have tablets and I've used Cloudinary in the past and I noticed how you basically, instead of needing thousands of images, you just need one URL for that image and it automatically changes the image based on where it is. Is that how that impacts responsive in this new way? Is that how you guys are optimizing images? Our goal in Cloudinary was to, to simplify all of that and offer developers a solution because every website out there encounters the same exact challenges. Wanted to solve that and offer the, the, the tool set that you need to implement the specific image and video requirements with as little hassle and, and plug all the know-how that we have into your process. But just taking it a step back, the whole notion of adapting a photo le- and, and just talking about the delivery and right for, for a sec, the whole notion of taking a photo and adapting it to a mobile device, what we call a responsive design. We want our website to be responsive to what type of device we're viewing the photos on. It's a complex process, right? And, and when it just got started a few years ago, the first realization that the same desktop-based website that fits a 20-plus-inch monitor does not work on a 4-inch monitor, which is in your hand and you interact with it with your fingers, just font size is wrong, right? You need bigger font size. The, the images shrink. You can't see it, so you need bigger images. You know, they need to adapt. They need to change. And what started as uh, in the beginning is just, hey, let's let's just resize what I call on the client side, right? Send the same exact images, but just make them adapt on the browser to your mobile device. First of all, work, but then again, left you with a problem. The problem was that you're downloading huge images that fit full res, high definition screens over to your mobile devices. Some of them are have a high resolution, which is great. Some of them lower resolution. So lots of bytes. And you mentioned, again, we have... In some areas, our users will have amazing broadband connections. Some areas, it will be very different internet connections you need to adapt to. And you want the users on your website. You want them to experience the website and know the loading time that they have for your images. So how do you adapt to that? And then as we progress as developers, we learn to start doing that on the JavaScript side. Let's first understand what is the actual size of the images that we need and then ask to deliver the right images, right? Right image sizes. But then again, it happened at a later end of the uh, browser loading process. It takes longer times. It requires you to generate all these different variations. And then new specifications came in lately, which have different browser support. So developers need to manage all these things, the latest specifications and the mobile support and what different browsers support. And we have new file formats that suddenly became apparent, which are amazing. So Google with their WebP format and Microsoft with the JPEG XR format. But again, only available for the Edge browser or Chrome plus Safari browsers. How do you support all these different file formats? How do you give the ultimate user experience using all the best that all the browsers and specification file formats makes available, but make that into a single coherent 
solution for your users. That's a lot of work. Very doable, a slightly more verbose HTML content on your end, slightly more image variations that you need to create. But at the end of the day, it's about the user experience. If it matters and it does matter, you should be investing the time to make sure that your user get the best possible images on your website, on their mobile devices and browsers. That's really key for engagement in general, right? If we're going to the trouble of having creative people put together incredible images, uh, things that really support the brand, things that uh, really tell the story of our products and services and help us to explain exactly why they should care about us. And then we go ahead and serve that to the device in such a way that it takes 30 seconds before it even appears. By that time, I mean, after one second, people are going to bounce away and go and look elsewhere. They're going to go and find an alternate. So having a solution in place to fix that is massive for consumer engagement, for sure. Even in the B2B world, right? It's you know, people, business people do not want to sit there waiting for stuff to refresh. They want it instantly available to them. They've got research to do. They've got to find a solution to the problem. They've got to buy something that fixes the issue. And if you're not serving that information up to them quickly and effectively, they're going to go elsewhere and they're going to start researching somebody else's company to help them do exactly. that. Mm-hmm. Everything that you just described there is, is you know, the old way of, of doing it. And obviously going for a, a platform as a, as a service like yours and, and like others that are out there is a, is a great way to consolidate all of that into a, a single call effectively and say, use this service. And then the service does everything for you. Obviously, the, the problem you know, that I see with some of that is that uh, when I did my first state of marketing technology report, we found as a survey across uh, over 3,000 businesses that 40% of those companies, and some of these were like micro businesses like startups, and some of these were massive corporations with 10,000 people, it actually didn't make much of a difference to the percentages. Pretty much 40% of those people are building all their own stuff in-house instead of buying solutions to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? I mean, what's stopping people from just using these best-of-breed platforms and, and continuing to build in-house? Well, let's talk about images specifically and what we see when we put Cloudery in front of developers. I think that when you just start out, images look simple, right? It's just a photograph. It's a bunch of bits and bytes, and, and we have software out there open source solutions that knows how to take an image and resize it or crop it or compress it, change formats and so forth. So it seems really, really simple. Once you start to understand just how much value there is, how much know-how you you need to get to the value that you need to offer to your users around responsive design, around the correct formats and around how to select the right image to the right user. And then stuff that that are even much more complex than that. How do you crop the image correctly? Focusing on the areas of importance in the image, right? We haven't discussed our direction, which is responsive, but change the format of the, uh, the, 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 the aspect ratios of the image. Now I have so much more potential. I can focus on different areas of the image, but where should I focus? And then you realize that you have to do an additional stuff with your image. You want to put some textual attribution or a watermark on top of your image. You want to figure out what is the right compression rate and how do we, does it fit into the right browser support. And and again, we're talking about geographical regions and how do you do that and uh, CDN delivery and faster and bringing the images closer to your users in advance. There is so much more know-how when you look at it from that perspective. So the more you get involved, the more you understand the problems, that, the more you understand that, that you are in a mess. And it's something that you, you shouldn't ignore, right? There is a lot of value for your business, like even 
the best user experience that you can. Your website images is such a huge part of that. So you do realize you need to invest the time or find a solution. So it starts as, hey, it's just images. But then, oh, there is so much else that we can do. We should do that. Now, do we invest the time in support and scale? We haven't talked about, so I've just touched about the point of scale. Even when you know how to generate those images, again, a website, millions, hundreds of millions of images with all their different variations, do you want to do that and scale that? And how do you support that in-house? So it's all doable, right? Developers are extremely smart. You can build that in-house. Question is, do you want to do that rather than focus on the core of your business, basically? So this is when CloudRunning comes in. And, and it's true, by the way, for almost any cloud-based solution out there today. You start, it seems simple enough, but when you realize the magnitude of the issue, of the problem, and the value that you can get from external services allow you to strip down the non-necessary work effort you have in your job and then focus on the core of your work, then the value is made clear. That's interesting. Yeah, so it's the whole not invented here syndrome. There's a lot of companies that have that that sort of philosophy. They said, oh, well, we can build that in here. Or like, well, why would you do that? Why don't you use your developers to work on your core product instead of building another product when there's something already out there? So it's pretty interesting. So we have a lot of developers on that are listening to this. We also have a lot of marketers and, and, and bloggers and different people. So maybe how, how might this solution help marketers? I mean, do you guys have like plugins like on WordPress so they can automatically do this? Do you have to be a developer to use technologies like this to be able to, to get optimal uh, image size quality for your site? How does that work? First of all, let's start with focus on your images. And yes, there are amazing solutions out there. CloudRunner is one of them. Check it out, but do something with your images. CloudRunner has a lot of different options. Uh, it, it is a developer-focused tool. So we have a rich set of APIs you can build upon, but it's also part of the, the solution is, is managing your images. So you have a graphical interface to manage your images. We have a lot of marketing guys using the service as a digital asset management alternative that plugs extremely well into their delivery platform. Developers love that and marketing guys love that. We do have plugins for WordPress and others in Magento. So you can use that and a single click will get you to use the Cloudinary cloud-based image management, adapt the images, plug them into your blog, media website with ease and you already get the images highly optimized best formats delivered from a fast cdn and and again just just a single click so definitely check it out but in any case my main point here images are, are critical very important you need to focus on them you need to make sure that you're sending the right image to the right users in any way so even if it's done in-house do it in-house worth investing the time it is your conversion rate it is your bottom lines yeah. for your business that's so great like if you have 200 <laughs> pixels of space you don't want to be throwing a 1900 pixel image in there and so it's it's so interesting to be able to pragmatically figure out exactly oh we have 150 pixels of space here oh and it could be a square and so you're able to change the aspect ratio and the size on the fly and send a 19 kilobyte file size instead of a 200 kilobyte file size and especially in the world of google and, and wanting to have websites go so fast i mean this seems to me that potentially uh an SEO sort of an angle to help optimize your site for speed. That way, Google is even happier. Yes, and we all want Google to be happier, don't we, Travis? <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. Yes. It's a, um, this has been absolutely fascinating. Unfortunately, we only get a finite amount of time to do these interviews on VB Engage, just as uh, many people around the world have a finite amount of bandwidth to look at the images that you serve. <laughs> uh, I'm afraid we're going to have to bring it to an end, despite the fact that we could talk about this stuff for hours. Thank you so much for coming on VB Engage. Thank you, guys. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much.
Thank you so much to Atai Lehan of Cloudinary and the great discussion about what's going on with images. And it fit right in with uh, the stuff that was going on in the news this week. A lot of interesting things uh, happening uh, around images and creative for your website. If you missed last week's episode, we had Howard Love on. And Howard is the author of the Startup J-Curve. If you didn't hear that, if you were building a startup, check that one out. There was some fascinating information. He just had some amazing insights to about building your startup and how they all sort of fit the same j curve over time uh, when you're growing and scaling that and next week we have with us mitchell reichgut and uh, we're going to be talking about some interesting stuff in mobile advertising so tune in to that for episode 40 of vb engage for travis wright goodbye and for Stuart rogers it's sala kakule we'll see you guys next week